Hello again and welcome to episode 31, episode 31 of the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Bible Study of the Book of Revelation. So this is Revelation Study episode 31 recorded on December the 2nd, 2018. December 2nd, 2018. I'm Pastor Dan, and it is my pleasure to host the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast, a virtual church classroom Bible study presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church and with the able help of my daughter, Bethany. And we are at present studying the book of Revelation. We're based in Jasper, Indiana, so if you're not uh, from around here, well, we just tell you that it's down in the southern part of the state where it's hillier, and we'd be glad to see you at Shiloh anytime you'd like to come by and pay us a visit. This is a offering that is meant to enhance your spiritual journey and not in any way to take away from your relationship with the church. It's very important we believe that you are involved personally with a congregation somewhere, and we think God's got one in mind for you. You just have to pray and keep trying. And if you happen to be in the vicinity of Southwest Indiana, guess what? Shiloh and your virtual church Bible study leader, Pastor Dan, would be glad to see you. Now, as always, let us begin with worship. psalm reading today is psalm 32 psalm 32 of david a maskil according to the footnote in my bible a maskil is probably a literary musical term but at the end of the day we just don't really know for sure in any case psalm 32 begins this way blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my, groan, through my groaning all, my, all day long. For day and night your hand were heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, you who are upright in heart.
O Lord, we say with the psalmist, you are my hiding place. You are the place of refuge that we turn to in our time of need. It is our comfort to know that you're there for us, Lord, that you are not abandoning us. And while we don't always understand why we must suffer, we know that we are not alone, that you have resolved the fundamental problem of sin and death, and you have made us righteous in your sight because of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, Lord, we can hide in you, knowing that whatever happens, we will be with you, that we will be vindicated even if it is in the last days as we are studying in the book of Revelation. Oh God, we are so confident that you love us and so sure that you will not abandon us, that we can at least take comfort in knowing that while our enemies on earth may have a temporary victory over us, the ultimate victory is yours. The ultimate salvation is yours. And this we look forward to with great confidence even as fearful and frightening things unfold before our eyes. Praise you, O Lord. Glory to your name. Amen. Well, this week's Bible study, unfortunately, will not include Bethany. Bethany has been pretty uh, sick lately. She's had a uh, bit of strep throat and uh, now dealing with a great deal of co congestion and coughing. And she said, Dad, I, I just don't think I can get through without doing an excessive amount of coughing and, and gasping. And, and I don't think people want to hear that. So I allowed her that uh, privilege since, well, frankly, what else could I do? It's Bethany's prerogative, and I love her. So, very proud of my daughter and her fine contributions to this program. But today, you'll have to look at Chapter 17 with just me, and you'll have to ask her for her opinions later on. And so, we are studying Chapter 17. Uh, we read about the woman and the beast, and uh, we're getting into some pretty curious stuff. As I recall from our last lesson, we talked about the seven bowls of God's wrath, and uh, we saw for the first time in many, many chapters the red ink in our Bible that is the voice of Jesus who says in verse 15 of chapter 16, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. You know, I've wondered about what that means exactly because this is a word to those who have survived all of these cataclysms who have even survived the uh, torture and death of anyone who doesn't take the mark the beast's wrath and then uh, somehow have managed to stay faithful to god despite the uh, 
despite all of the the pressures to cave in and uh, lose their souls for all eternity and Jesus warns them because they're the only ones that can hear him or will listen for his voice he warns the devil I'm sure as well when he says behold I come like a thief he's letting it be known that he's coming and there's not a darn thing anybody can do about it and he comes in a different way he doesn't come as the mild little baby Jesus he comes as the king Jesus the victor he comes with with the uh, forewarning that when he speaks, that will be enough to defeat his enemy, that they can bring the world's most powerful and largest army against him, and with the word of God, he'll defeat them and destroy them. It's kind of amazing. Think about Jericho, who really fought and won the Battle of Jericho. Remember when the captain of the hosts, when, 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 uh, when uh, Jer- Jericho, when when Joshua was out and about, and he came across this guy, and and uh, and and he tried to worship him, and the guy said, "You should take off your shoes and worship." That was his way of saying, "Because I'm God." No angel ever said that you should take off their shoes and worship him, except for the one that's really getting uh, his comeuppance in this particular season of our reading of chapter uh, 17 of Revelation. The fact is, is all angels direct your glory towards God. And this particular case where Jeremiah runs into, Jeremiah, where Joshua runs into uh, this angel or this captain of the host before the big battle of Jericho, it's none other than Christ the Lord pre-incarnate or before he became flesh. And what he says is, tomorrow I'll do the fighting. And we didn't see him swinging his sword around or anything. It was... It was as though all he had to do was speak. And that takes us right back to the beginning of creation when all it takes is a word from God. And the word is Christ himself. And the word becomes the power to create, to create life, to take it away, to destroy or to make new. It's profound and it's still present even as we come to these last days of human history in the book of Revelation. So we read from chapter 17 of Revelation And here's what it says. One of seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting in a scarlet, sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will, be, I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which, was, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was now 
is not. I got to start over with that part. The beast which you saw, which was once, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten hordes you saw were ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish it in into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Okay, that's chapter 17, and that's quite a mouthful. And I wanted to read the whole chapter to you because sometimes, you know, if you'd have stopped before you got to the part where the angel explained it all, then we'd be trying to figure it out, and the angel's telling you, you don't have to figure it out. I'll tell you what it means. And so the angel has told us, so the real trouble that we find today is that we have to figure out just exactly what the uh, angel meant when, when, when the angel explained this to John in this vision. So let's see what we can do here. Um, first of all, notice that the prostitute is not the beast, but she rides the beast. She initially exploits the beast, but is eventually destroyed by the beast. 17, uh, Revelation 17 said that to us, verses 16 and 17. Now, the reference to the golden cup is another link with Jeremiah. Um, that goes back to, to the days when the, uh, the Israel had been overrun and sent to Babylon. And so what we're beginning to see here is that there's a connection throughout the whole Bible with Babylon. Uh, Babylon is both a real place and it is also a place that uh, is figurative. And I don't mean that it, it's, missed, it's not a myth or, or anything like that. It just means that, um, well, put it, to you, put it this way. If, if you were, were going to talk about... Um, well, I lived in a certain city, let's say. I lived in a certain city for several years that had the nickname Little Chicago. Now, why would someone call a little town in Indiana Little Chicago? 
probably not because it has any uh, complete, it, does, it is not in any complete way a small version of Chicago, but rather that it has certain qualities that uh, Chicago is famous for or infamous for. And so people look at that town as a smaller version of that particular reputation that the city has. And so I can tell you that this town I lived in had a city, uh, had a reputation for smaller versions of the Chicago gangsters and, uh, and some of the same kinds of violence and, and so forth that existed in Chicago. And so it was a, it was a way for people to say, you know, welcome to a smaller version of a place that is well known for, you know, corruption in government and, uh, well-known for gangsters and, and uh, neighborhood violence and that kind of thing. So that's the idea. So Babylon is a real place, but it's also the word that we use to describe a total devotion to the things of the world. Um, to put it another way, when you think about Nebuchadnezzar, He's the king of Babylon, and Babylon at that time is like Rome. It's a city, but it's also a nation. And so it doesn't just cover the city uh, grounds. It's also covering all of its various conquests around the world. And, uh, and so, you know, the world is Rome, or in a certain other case, the, ro the world is Babylon. Go back to... Um, a certain tower called the Tower of Babel, right? Or Babel. And who do you have there? You have a guy named Nimrod who at that time was, was placing himself in the position of a total world leader. In other words, he was the first worldwide dictator. He was the first person recorded in the Bible to have assumed so much authority and power over other people that his only conquest he had left was to try to take over heaven. And so he literally builds a tower so that he can punch God in the nose, you know. Now, I know that sounds humorous, but guess what Bab-El means? It's Bab-El is the one who contends with God, but not in a good way. You know, uh, one who fights God or resists God or who resents or hates God. And uh, so... The Tower of Babel is is a tower that represents this King Nimrod's desire to to get in God's face and and tell him you know I'm great and and I can even take you down. Does that sound like a particular Lucifer that we read about in certain parts of the Bible? I think it does. And so Lucifer is embodied in so many ways in Nimrod, and Nimrod is doing the same thing Lucifer did, and it only got both of them cast down in a literal and figurative way so that they are, in fact, experiencing the uh, folly or the consequence of their folly. It's kind of amazing, too. And so here we come back to this chapter 17 in Revelation, and what we experience is the story of a city but also a state of being that is troublesome. It's the city and the state of being that is Babylon. And Babel is still this, this uh, group of people who are utterly devoted to resisting God. I mean, and as we read towards the end of chapter 17, they're going to, they're going to actually make war with the Lamb, with the capital L, meaning Jesus Christ. 
And we already know because it tells us in chapter 17 that that's a pretty stupid thing to do and it isn't going to end well for them at all. So there you go. Mystery Babylon is a way of describing all the false religious systems that were identified with the city of, of uh, Rome and then eventually with Babylon. And uh, Mystery Babylon is, we, we believe we're talking about um, the, the, the nation that was, that is no more, but will be again. And we, we have good reason to suspect that this is Rome. That, that Rome was Europe in its heyday. And there's reason to believe that though Rome ceased to exist for a time, it does look as though it's reemerging now. If you look at something like the, the European Union, for example, there are indications that that might be a kind of Rome. Does it mean they call themselves Rome anymore? I doubt it. But what it does mean is that there's a unified Europe, and that includes Italy and Rome. But more than that, it includes um, a kind of unified economic power. And, you know, in this modern era, there is more trouble for enemies of, I'm not saying this right, it's, it's much more likely that someone would launch an economic attack on their enemy than a mechanical sort of machines of war kind of attack. I mean, you can actually do a lot more harm nowadays by attacking people with your uh, cyber power and with, you know, economic trade wars and that kind of thing. So it, it stands to reason that if all the nations of Europe uh, unite in some way, they become like Rome again and they become a force economically, even if they're not a unified uh, force with an army or something like that. So it, it seems like that's what we're, we're being told here is that uh, Mystery Babylon is a, a sort of uh, homage or statement that reminds us of the the Rome at its height, which had a whole series of false deities and all sorts of weird religious beliefs that ended up being weird religious humanistic uh, things. And, and that takes us to this woman who is a prostitute. Now, a prostitute is simply someone that uh, sells affection and sells all the physical benefits of a, of a relationship, but not without any permanent intimacy or permanent re uh, commitment. And so wherever the Bible refers to cities and, and governments and nations as prostitutes, he's always saying these are people who, you know, talk about me like they love me, but they really don't. They just take things from me and give me something in exchange. You know, that's, that's really the idea. It's, it's just the uh, whole prostitution thing in a, in a nutshell. And God is so keen to it when it happens that he's even created his own illustration of it in the book of Hosea, where he literally has Hosea turn himself into a living example of God's uh, grief over the way that the people of Israel have treated him. And really, when I say the people of Israel, just the people who have really devoted themselves to God for a time and then sort of felt like, you know, they didn't need God anymore or they could best God in some way. So some clues that we see then is the prostitute is promiscuous. She's unfaithful. 
She has a universal influence all over the world. Um, think about, and I don't want you to think that I'm saying Hollywood is the prostitute. Rather, I'd like to say Hollywood, and I want you to imagine in your mind's eye how Hollywood's influence is all over the world. Um, perhaps in this period of human history, it's coming out of Babylon. You know, think about how there used to be one place where all this entertainment came from, and it was Hollywood. And now you have Bollywood, which is out of India, and you have Mollywood, which comes out of North Africa. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is, is that, that uh, there are other places that have capitalized on our media-hungry society and all, of the hungry, uh, all the ways they get that hunger met through the Internet, through streaming video, through all of the different resources that are out there. And uh, through technology, you know, we can even have other languages translated into our own so that we can be affected and influenced by these, these uh, uh, so forms of media that come from other places in the world. So there's this universal influence all over the world. And perhaps this is what we're seeing. She's seated on the beast. That is to say, she steers the, and dominates the beast. Um, think about that for a minute the beast is the head of the world he's the the world leader and uh, think about how how political figures especially someone like the president of the united states or someone who's in a very very high uh place in in world uh, in the world view as as far as a, a notable uh, political authority they are looking at things like uh uh, just went blank. Polling data. They're they're looking at uh, at various uh, research projects and things. They they want to know what the people are going to support and what they're not going to support. They're they're always looking at how you know the viewership was on their last presentation or something. So it's very interesting how you can be the person in authority, but this universal influence that is the world's hunger for whatever its current tastes happen to be. And, and you look at certain political figures in our history and you realize that many of them uh, were made by the media and they were broken by the media because they were being led by what they thought was the people's will, you know. And so it really wasn't the people, but it was the people who claimed to have the people's opinion the the news media the uh the various sources uh for publications and and movies and and audio video resources and all this and and uh, so a political leader can find themselves being led around by the nose um even though they are a uh supposed to be the one in charge and so this is what we see this this prostitute or this this uh state of society being completely self-absorbed and looking for whatever makes them feel good in the society that's steering this beast's head for a while the purple the scarlet and the gold jewels are a hint they all tell us something and uh those are all things you see um on a uh uh, royal person, you know, um, and, and a royal person is someone who is the most important person in the room. So purple, scarlet, gold, and jewels all indicate something about this, this uh, prostitute or 
um, this mystery Babylon. And the golden cup is precious, and yet it's a counterfeit, and it's filled with abominable things. So, so what kind of things would be in this? You know, what does this really mean, this, this abominable stuff in a cup? Well, um, you know, you have to think in terms of the kinds of things an angel of the Lord would consider abominable, because that's, that's who's doing the talking here. And, uh, and what is she drinking? The blood of the saints. And uh, so basically, the saints are people who represent a certain code of behavior, a certain code of authority. Um, this is going to make more sense in a second, but the code of authority is God's precepts. And people don't like being told that they can't do whatever they want. And if you really think about it, even today, one of the biggest problems that people have with Christians is that it seems to them like Christians are always telling them what's wrong with everybody else. And, you know, and they can make it sound like we're really rotten because we're always judging others. And uh, certainly we don't want to be judgmental or cruel or anything like that. But it does it does indicate to us that one of the things that will always create resistance between people of God and the people of the world is the people of God adhere to a certain set of standards of behavior and certain rules of conduct, um, not for holier-than-thou purposes, but simply for devotion and love to their Lord. And uh, people resist that when it feels like that religion of theirs and that belief of theirs is going to cost them their freedom to do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, it's a constant problem. And and so, once again, the prostitute who rides on the back of the dragon or on the back of the beast is somebody who is figuratively representing everyone who says, I want what I want and I don't care about rules. So that sort of takes us back to Nimrod, doesn't it? Mystery Babylon the Great is linked directly to Nimrod and Nimrod's desire to have whatever he wants. And mother of prostitutes has a spiritual offspring and so it's not alone, you know. Uh, the persecutor of Christians, it's, uh, it's their blood that she's drinking. And, and then there's this really fascinating thing that we see uh, that, that takes us to, back to Rome and, and gives us an idea of what uh, John is speaking when he says that there was this nation that once was, is not now, but will be again. And then he describes the seven hills. Well, Rome is very well known for its city surrounded by seven hills. And all seven of the hills have a special name. And uh, the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Well, in John's day, that could only have been Rome. And so what's he saying? You know, uh, he's saying that the world as they knew it is, you know, Rome or Europe and the world of Revelation 17 is basically Babylon as a sort of center for all the evil of the beast and the beast's prophet and uh, Satan himself. And Europe is sort of the last standing uh, resistance or collaboration, but in kind. So let me, let me just unpack that for a minute. We've already heard that two-thirds of the earth have been pretty much wiped out. Some people say, well, where's America in biblical prophecy? Well, I can't tell you where it is, but I can tell you where it isn't. 
it isn't here in chapter 17. And I remember that two-thirds of the earth was pretty much wiped out, and all that seems to be left is this place called Babylon. And I happen to believe it's the literal Babylon, which means a place that's so 20 miles or so outside of Baghdad uh, to the south, I think. It's like 27 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. And and uh, before his uh, comeuppance finally got a hold of him, why Saddam Hussein was busy trying to lead the reconstruction of Babylon. He had it in his head that he was going to be the new Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's all well known. You could check that out. And so there really is a place called Babylon, and there really is uh, some construction work going on down there. And I don't know that it means that this is going to become some great city or something. But what I do know is that Babylon has always been associated with Babel, the haters of God. And Babylon or Babel has always been in direct opposition to the people of God, Israel. And uh, this is where I think this is taking us and helping us to understand that there are basically two women in this story in Revelation, one woman is this harlot or this prostitute who is who is Babel's bride, you might say, and then this other woman is Israel, and by that it doesn't just mean literally the Jews, although this book is mostly about the Jews from a certain point forward, but it's a way of saying that uh, there are basically two ways of approaching life on earth and life with the creator God. You either resist completely, Babel, or you submit and love your God who loves you back, and, and that's Israel. And uh, that's kind of the idea, um, you know, in a very, very broad sense. And uh, so... I don't know. I hope that's making chapter 17 a little bit easier to understand. Let me just be very frank. I am not the expert by any means. And that's partly because there are no experts. <laughs> I know people and I have studied under people and listened to people who are about as expert as anyone can be on this particular topic. And it doesn't change a thing when it comes down to the fact that they can only speculate about what these are certain to mean. And so we go most, the most reliable source of translation or comprehension of this, uh, of this chapter is the, saint, uh, the angel himself or the angel who, uh, angelic being who says to John, okay, here's what it means, all right? It means that, uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just pulling my Bible over here in front of me again, and I, I wanted to read that to you. So the, the angel says, this calls for a mind of wisdom, and the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Seven hills, like seven hills of, uh, of Rome, right? And there are also seven kings, and so Rome in this case, is, is, uh, seems to be referring to not just the city of Rome, but the nation uh, that is this uh, European government that was seated in Rome in John's day. And now there are the kings of the various regions, and so it kind of looks like they're aligning themselves for uh, some kind of uh, purpose. You know, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, 
He must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. So, so the angel is basically saying to John that this is a this is a picture of the political scene at this point in the history of Revelation, and keep in mind that uh, Revelation has a certain pattern where it takes us. Uh, through a description of a particular element of the story, takes a little pause by telling you something not unrelated, but not uh, not in sequential order, and then it goes back. So, so in other words, if you're reading a novel where the author's trying to keep up with four or five characters who are all existing at the same time and all moving through the same period of time, you can only read one chapter at a time. So you read a chapter that says on January 1st, this person did all of these things. And by January 15th, they were done. Then you start a new chapter and it says, meanwhile, on January 1st in another city, this person did all these things and then ended up. So in other words, when you read Revelation, you have to understand that what you're hearing is a linear description of a completely connected set of circumstances it takes it, it takes longer to tell the story than it does to witness the story if that makes any sense at all um, you, you simply can't tell it all at the same time as it's happening and so revelation gets a little confusing because we're looking at a very compact period in time three and a half years at this point in the great tribulation and the author is telling us about certain events that already happened while we were reading about other things that were already happening. So hopefully that makes a little more sense to you. So what we're hearing is this rise of this beast and this, uh, this global sort of arrangement. I, I say global, but really it looks like a European arrangement where there are a number of kings and they all think that they're in charge, but eventually through subterfuge and all the various evils, uh, that we've read about in popular fiction, one rises to the top and becomes the true authority. And this person does so by letting the whore or the harlot steer him towards being the most popular person in the world. And so he wins the popularity contest by giving people exactly what they want. And they have a lust for blood. They have a lust for other fleshly desires. And he meets all of those needs and rises to a place of authority. And then he really lets the others have it. And they try to rebel against him. And that's when you uh, uh, begin to see the fall of Babylon, which comes in chapter 18. So I, I hope that's really helpful. Um, it's more fun when Bethany's here to counterpoint these things with me and help me to discuss it with you. Um, but I could at least give you sort of a high altitude view of this. And then you and I could talk about it on Facebook. We could talk face to face. And when Bethany gets done listening to this, she'll probably have a comment or two that she can share. And, and we'll just keep going. But thank you for persevering in the study of God's word. Thank you for the, uh, the uh, honor that you give me by letting me and, and my daughter kind of uh, lead our thinking and, and discussion. But, uh, of course, the most important thing about knowing God with heart and mind is that you use your heart and your mind, your feelings and your critical thinking skills in order to really look to God's heart and mind 
and see these things clearly as you would experience God. Together with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can come up with a lot of truth that we would find difficult to find, would be difficult to find if we were looking just on our own. So it's good that we're together. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here to be a little shorter this week. And, uh, and that's because my throat's getting tired and because uh, I don't have Bethany here to help. So I want to thank you very much for listening. You honor me. And uh, please keep in touch with us. Write to us on the Facebook uh, group. You can do that simply by clicking the link that's in the description for this podcast. You can go to Facebook and look for Knowing God with Heart and Mind. And uh, Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast is increasing in its, uh, in its diversity. You can also hear sermons from Sunday mornings. And you can even hear me read the monthly newsletter from Shiloh United Methodist Church. So... Uh, Anyway, thank you very much. God bless you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can learn more about Shiloh United Methodist Church and me, Pastor Dan, by visiting shilohum.org. Shiloh, S-H-I-L-O-H. U-M dot org.